Hello, and thank you for joining us. I am your host, soulful business and leadership coach, Jeffrey Biesecker. We are all on the journey to discover the light inside, that beacon which guides us to live our truest, most authentic self. This is episode 0058. There are certain truisms, when examined, which provide great insight into the very deep and evolving nature of life. Vision, after all, is often the difference between what is and what could be. If we don't know where we're going in life, well, we probably will end up somewhere else. Motivational speaker Les Brown shares this inspirational thought. Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Moving into alignment with purposeful intention requires setting clearly defined goals. Smarter goals begin with developing a smarter brain. Sharing this mind-opening episode is Pradeep Sangha, internationally acclaimed personal advisor and coach to high-performing executives and entrepreneurs, exploring how to leverage neuroscience to achieve more effective goals. Lean in as we unlock the mysteries of the mind, empowering you with the science of smart so you can develop efficient and effective goals on this episode of The Light Inside. Do you struggle with maintaining your energy and mental focus throughout the day? I know I do. The folks at NeuroGum have always believed that the best version of ourselves starts with the mind. That's why they've dedicated the past five years to creating great tasting products that conveniently and effectively get us in the right state of mind at the right time. Four simple, healthy, and thoughtfully curated ingredients and endless lab testing Ensure you can reach the right state of mind safely and consistently. Every phase of their production is done intently to create the most effective product. NeuroGum products help shift your mindset with ease and flow. Their functional gum and mints are shortcuts to the ideal state of mind, delivering just the right amount of what you need to energize, calm, and focus your mind in the moment. So if you struggle to find the mental focus and energy throughout your day, try NeuroGum and Mints by visiting GetNeuro.com today. That's G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O.com. Refresh your state of mind with Neuro. They get the mental game, helping you stay in the zone. Our guest today knows a thing or two about designing effective and efficient goals. Pradeep Sangha is an internationally acclaimed personal advisor and coach. Pradeep is an outstanding mentor to so many. He is inspiring his clients to reach for their personal goals, empowering them to find more fulfillment in every area of their life. This is why I'm super stoked today to chat with him about utilizing proven neuroscience to form effective goals. I'm sure he'll deliver on his promise to provide actionable meaning and value for our listeners. Tune in as we dive into this conversation about leveraging the power of our brains to create smarter goals. Hello, Pradeep. How are you today? (laughs) Great, Jeffrey. How about yourself? Fantastic. Doing well. 
<laughs> How's your day so far? We're seeing some signs of spring here in Ohio. That's good to hear. Pretty rough, long couple of last three weeks. <laughs> We've seen about a foot plus of snow pretty steady over the last three weeks. It's looking yep. like spring is starting to shift into that warm season. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Awesome. I'm ready. I get excited to embrace that new rebirth of spring that that kind of opens our eyes and pushes us out there to reach for new directions. <laughs> well, I'm excited to look at a new direction with you today. We've talked about how we can leverage neuroscience to achieve more effective goals. I'm interested in what we can find to share with others about how our brains process our ability to form effective habits and goals. Since we're here to talk about our goals today, you know, what are our goals and understanding how our habits establish our ability to reach our goals? My wife and I were having this conversation yesterday because I'm a big driver. You can say my entire life has been really around results from a business perspective as well as a personal perspective. And I've always overperformed and my clients have overperformed for one reason is because you have to have goals and you have to have effective goals to be able to get what you want out of life. A lot of people don't know what they want and then they wonder why they don't get it. Clarity creates confidence, which creates certainty. When you have that certainty, you actually make better decisions. So that's a psychological perspective is life is just a series of decisions and actions. That's all it is, if you think about it. And that includes business as well. And so if you're better at making decisions and more effective at taking action, then you'll actually get to your goals. It's not like you're not going to have any roadblocks, but you'll get there a lot faster. You'll get there a lot easier. You'll be more persistent, but you need that certainty and you need that confidence. And in order to have that, you need to have that goal. Now, from a neuroscience perspective, our brain is a goal-driven organ. It is designed to seek out what we put in front of it. So back when we were a stone ageless, for example, is it was survival. It was food. It was shelter. It was finding other people so we could come together in a tribe and actually increases our chances of survival. Today, it's a little bit different. And so we have to figure out what it is that we want to teach our brain to go after. And that's very important. And without getting into the too much of the technical aspects, here's basically what your brain does. Your brain is designed to problem solve and also predict. So you got to think about that. It's there to solve a problem. So what problem is your brain solving? Because you can only control what you can control. Now on the predictive side, it's always predicting what's going to happen next. And a lot of this is being done unconsciously. And based on your brain's predictions, it will behave or act or move you in a direction at this moment. So it's important to take into consideration where this all comes from. It all comes from having the goals, because when you have the right goals then you are more conscious in making better decisions, predicting better, solving better problems that are aligned with your goal and actually getting better habits. Scientists and neuroscientists believe that up to 40% of our day, 47% actually before was based on automaticity, which is based on automatic habits. You could say autopilot or on habits. The numbers are actually increasing. They're saying it's anywhere from 47 to actually 80% of our day. So if we think about it, we're running on autopilot three quarters of our day, roughly half to three quarters of our day. And so what's driving that autopilot? It's either having goals. So you actually have habits or actually moving towards your goals, or you're actually just doing some random stuff. And a lot of people end up doing the random stuff. And that's why they wonder at the end of the day, they've worked so hard, but they haven't really achieved any results towards their goals or outcomes. I know a lot of people feel that way. So often those random goals or that random stuff are auto-generated patterns that we've learned or been conditioned to believe. So often that becomes the greatest block in achieving those goals. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. We have to be conscious. This is an exercise that I do with everybody I work with is say, track what you do, every single thing for one week. And then you'll find out exactly where your habits are and where you spend most of your time. And it's interesting because you can categorize them and you can say, hey, look, they're either helping you move towards the life you want. They might not be helping you, but they might not be deterring you. So there's three typical categories. Or, or the last one is they're, they're holding you back. So if you're trying to lose weight, but you're eating Twinkies and you're not exercising, those are the habits that are going to stop you. And so here's the big thing. We believe we know what we're doing, but a lot of times we don't. We really don't until we actually track it, until we actually write it down. And then we actually look at it and analyze it and then compare it to what our goals are. And then when you compare the two, you really realize like, wow, I'm either doing something that's actually helping me or it's not. So it's not anybody's fault. It's just if it's not in front of us, it's not apparent. And if I relate this to the business world is there's a, there's a concept we use, which is called visual management, which is putting up on a screen or on a board where things are with your team or production or whatever is happening, the good things or the bad things. So it's actually right there. It's right in front of you. And that's why I'm a big fan of sticky notes. If you look at my desk right now, I, I go through sticky notes like it's no tomorrow. I could easily put it into a digital note. Taker, basically a platform that I use. It's on my mobile phone. It's on my computer. But if it's not in front of me, it's that see no evil, hear no evil type of thing. It has to be in front of you. And by doing that exercise, it actually brings your habits uh, to the forefront. It's easy to ignore what we simply are not constantly aware of and present with. We have to look at so often is why am I being driven to eat that Twinkie when I know it doesn't achieve the goal I want? What is the underlying cause that's keeping me from doing that very thing that I know mm -hmm. I wish to do and achieve? Yeah, and it's mainly if we take a look at our behavior, a lot of it, and I'm not going to say every single thing, a lot of it's it's all based on our brain behavior and the neurotransmitters, for example, or neuromodulators, actually, they're showing, which I'm not going to get, again, I don't want to make it too technical, but basically, Let's make it technical. Our audience appreciates the technical. <laughs> well, there's a difference between neurotransmitters and neuromodulators. Basically, they're similar chemicals, but they do different things for your neurons, which basically one can actually alter your neuron, which is a neuromodulator, or one just gives the neuron ability to send a signal, which is a neurotransmitter. So things like dopamine, for example, serotonin, they're considered to be neuromodulators, for example, which basically changes the structure of the neuron. And what ends up happening is a lot of our behavior is driven by these chemicals you can say, or molecules. And so when we're eating a Twinkie, it's a dopamine hit, for example, and it sends a signal, you know, our brain is saying this feels good. So we just have to determine what is actually feeling good or what feels better than a Twinkie. So if exercising, if you can train your brain, you train yourself to feel better during exercise and after exercise, you'll be able to replace those other habits that are holding you back. We're looking at that dopamine hit, that feel good rush. That's that emotional response of, hey, you know, I'm feeling happy about this. Hey, I'm joyful. That's all governing from that limbic cortex of our brain, you know, that region that triggers those things. We have to learn to let that feeling pass, process it and say, how do I process this with the data and logic that aligns with the true goal and true response that I've designated as my ultimate goal? That's shifting us back into that area of the amygdala that's really creating that true response. Yeah. So there's different ways of taking a look at it. There is uh, 
a mindful approach and then there's the everyday approach. So the mindful approach is let the sensation pass. And this comes from traditional, you can say practices such as meditation or mindfulness, where you allow the sensation to pass and you can either go into a state of being hyper-focused in another area or just being not focused at all and go broad, a broad spectrum, which means you let go of your thoughts. You let go of your sensations or, you know, we don't live like meditators did a thousand years ago or a couple thousand years ago. They weren't bombarded by TV, the internet, marketing material. So it's a different world today. So we are constantly bombarded by stimuli. And this, this is, it, it's unfortunate, but our brains are being trained to be more and more active from this perspective or because of the stimuli. And so if we're going to say, hey, look, we can't live like old school monks and we want to live in today's society and be functional, then it's a replacement of that sensation. It is what other dopamine hit can you get that makes you feel better than actually doing something that's not constructive. And unfortunately, and this is where I, so I have two young kids. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. I grew up in a very mindful environment. For example, I grew up on an orchard. So I, I was basically born and raised with mindfulness. My grandfather was also a very spiritual man. My great-grandfather was a religious and spiritual teacher for 50 years. So I grew up with that. I grew up with mindfulness and meditation and understanding what it does. And my kids don't because we're not in that environment. And, and I plan on taking them back, but I, I also know that they're going to live a different lifestyle. So I, I've been very, you can say, deliberate in terms of how I've raised them. I restricted them from technology. They were able to watch TV. They didn't even have the ability, like at home, we didn't allow them to use a laptop until now because of COVID, they had to do homeschooling. And a lot of the other kids in their schools were, were very proficient with computers. Even a couple of years ago, my kids were not. They didn't even know how to turn one on or do anything. And I did that for a reason. I made sure that they learned the art and skill of, for example, going outside and playing and, and building things with blocks and, and coloring and all that kind of stuff because they can easily pick up on the technological aspect. But it's going to be very hard for them to train on the mindfulness side unless they're able to do it earlier on. It's all about getting information right away. Facebook is all about instant gratification in terms of social likes. All of these things we've been trained to do, and, and it takes a very conscious and mindful person or persons to be able to say, okay, this is not good for us from a social perspective, as a personal well-being perspective. I think we have, as a society too, we've taken the ownership or accountability off of ourselves and we've put it in the hands of the government and we've put it in the hands of big corporations to say, you should know better. That's not necessarily the case. As consumers, we need to know better. We need to know what's actually good for us and what's not so good for us. And that requires having the right information, of course. But it's a conscious decision to say, I, I, I think you could talk to most people. And I, actually, I know this and based on my personal experience of people who are on social media that I know, my personal circle, where I've said, do you think social media is good for you? Most of them will say, ah, no, not really. But they still are heavy consumers of it. So it goes back to that concept of well, we know a Twinkie is bad. Why do we still keep eating it? And looking at it from that angle, you mentioned we're not pointing the finger. Are we pointing our mindfulness toward judgment or are we pointing our mindfulness toward an awareness that creates the ability for us to craft a life we truly love? Are we forming those conscious habits and goals? Let's look at how our brain processes forming those habits and creating those goals. Are there specific areas of the brain which handle this information? Yeah, there are specific areas of the brain, but it's deeper than that. For example, your prefrontal cortex is a main area where the brain does the planning, right? Where the predictive aspects happen. There's a system which is called the reticular activating system, which enhances the stimuli that come in. The thalamus, you know, 
either enhances signals or decreases signals. So long story short, there are systems rather than particular places. There's particular places within the brain that work with other places, but there's a lot of stuff that is coming out when it comes to neuroscience that it's not as simple as it was because before we used to have fMR studies and we still use that and EEG studies, for example. But a lot of that information, the deeper that they dig into that, they find out that there's a lot more they don't know than what they've actually, they thought they knew. And so this is really interesting. So when it comes to goals, there's what they call global coherence, is which means that a lot of your brain works when it comes to goal setting. And so what, what essentially a, a person needs to know is that your brain is again designed for setting a goal and seeking out that goal and doing activities to align with that goal. That is what most people need to understand. And there's two levels of thought. We have conscious thought and we have non-conscious thought. Again, most of our processing that happens in the brain is at the non-conscious level. It's estimated roughly about 99% because we have roughly anywhere from 10,000, again, neuroscientists don't know exactly, to 80 something thousand thoughts per day. And if we take a look at 99% of those being non-conscious, that means there's a lot of backstage stuff happening. But even within that backstage thinking that we have, there's a goal. There's a goal. Just because we don't have a conscious goal, there isn't a non-conscious goal. We have to understand that. That's why we have to have a conscious goal to set the non-conscious targets. We have to control our non-conscious brain. We have to literally, it's like taming a stallion. It's going to buck at first, but after a while, you're going to tame it and you're going to be able to tell the stallion where you want it to go and how fast you want it to go. That's how the non-conscious brain works. So again, the most important thing is putting a goal in front of it and not just any goal. The goal has to be interesting enough that you want to pursue it. It has to have enough fire and fuel in it that your emotions are driven into it. Again, this is studies from Stanford that show the more emotions that you put into a goal, the more likely you are going to be passionate about it, persistent and consistent to achieve it. So there's a lot of studies that show the impact of emotions on goal setting and actually the tendency and the ability and the, you can say, the chances of you actually reaching that goal. So long story short, this means that when you set a goal and you, first of all, you got to write it down, right? Because that gives your brain the contextual, it sends your brain more signals. You put more emotions into it because now you're bringing in other parts of your brain. You're bringing in the sensory aspects like your parietal lobe, which is responsible for the sensory parts, for example, like touch and feel and pressure. And when you do that, and as you mentioned, the limbic system, parts of your emotional, you can say processing centers of your brain, like your hippocampus and your amygdala, you bring all those together. And what ends up happening is you have a goal that you cannot forget. You have a goal that drives you. You have a goal that every time you wake up in the morning, you're focused on that goal. A lot of us just forget about our goals. I know I've been there myself when I didn't have a very strong goal and I'm very much into fitness myself. And there were times where I found myself I think eating a, a chocolate or something one evening when I was had a specific goal in terms of my fitness goal. And I said, well, why did I eat this chocolate? It just goes against everything that I was working towards over the last few months. And it was simply I forgot. I simply forgot about my goal. And that's how important it is. Developing those smarter goals begins with developing a smarter brain. There are so many ways 
that we can each be smart. We can all boost our brains one skill at a time. Developing that process of building those skills and leaning into that mentality of apprenticeship. So often we want to come in in life and just feel as if we're the master. There's a form and a process that we all begin every step of that journey as an apprenticeship. Reaching out and exploring the Bruce Lipton's, the Dr. Joe Dispenza's, James Clear, all of these masters of what they do and helping us understand our brains, our goals, our processes, lean into that and form that as a form of mentorship. Study it, pick it apart. Yeah, that's actually very, uh, it, it is very important. And that's a very, I would say, uh, accurate description of how someone should look at things. Because what ends up happening is a lot of people do it to have something. When you do it to be something, it's a lot better because you are actually defining your identity. And your identity is basically the core of who you are and who you believe you are and who you believe you are. So again, you're giving your brain this box and you're telling your brain, this is who I believe I am. That's what an identity is. And if you tell your brain, I am not a musician your brain will basically say, I am not a musician. Therefore, it's difficult for me to learn. If you tell your brain you are a musician or in the process of becoming a musician, it will be more open and apt to actually learning. So identity is very important. Identity leads to behavior. Identity leads to habits. It's that cycle effect. Your identity will determine what you actually do and what you do redefines your identity. So this is a cyclical pattern. If you want to have better habits, then you have to define who you are or who you want to be that aligns with that goal. When you do, then your habits are more likely to change and align. Again, it requires conscious effort. But once you do that, then again, it redefines who you are. And that cycle just continues and perpetuates. You established in defining what's important. Finding that importance becomes significant. What's achievable is not always what's important. We can each have a lot of things we can do. Once we've decided what we choose we can do, it's about aligning and realigning our thoughts and behaviors that we are currently not doing to achieve those goals and habits so we can experience them differently. I want to lean back into that notion of James Clear. I read a great line from James Clear this morning. If we want to set a goal, it's not setting the goal per se to read a book. The goal should be to become a reader. If we're setting a goal to run a marathon, the goal should not be to run the marathon, the goal should be to become a runner. Rather than set the goal to play an instrument, set the goal to become a musician. Becoming the thing, very thing, the core thing that you hope to be in order to achieve the goal. That was so profound to me. Yeah, the, the, the past is really interesting because the past doesn't exist. It is just stored in a memory in our head and the, and the memories of the other people in our lives. And everybody has a different experience of that one experience. Even if two people are in the same room and in the same experiencing similar stimuli, because they'll never be the exact same, but experience the same situation, they're going to experience it completely differently. And they're going to store that information differently as well. Again, our brain is not like a video recorder where it is just records exactly how it's presented. It actually constructs the memory. That's how our brain works. And so why the past is relevant is because it stores in our memory, our experiences, our emotions, and also our skill level, for example. And so yes, 
yes, the past is relevant from the perspective of we have all of these experiences. We all have all this past hours or whatever we have in terms of developing a skill that we've now stored in our brain that can help us actually perform better going forward. That's where the, the past is relevant. And also being able to make better decisions, because if we made decisions in the past that led us down the positive path, or then we can actually use that same information and say, I've incurred a similar situation and I can make a decision about this better because I have some knowledge about this already. But it's when we hold on to the past and we say, oh, that situation, I screwed up in that. I'm going to probably screw up again if this comes about. That's where it becomes disempowering. And we have to be conscious of that because a lot of that is unconscious it's, or non-conscious, I should say. It's at the, the level of emotions as well. And so we have to see how we're feeling during the time. And again, we a lot of how we feel during the day is based on how we felt yesterday or how we felt the day before or, or some event that's been triggered by something happened in the past. And if we are conscious of that, again, it's being mindful. If we're conscious of that, we can say, ah, this is not the exact same situation. This just seems like the exact same situation. It's just, you can say, sparking. Some people call it triggering that emotion or those neural pathways in my brain. And then you can actually take control and you say, I can break the cycle and actually think of it differently, create a new emotion for it. That notion of triggering is very real. It's actually triggering all of those responses we talked about, all of those releases of the endorphins, of the serotonin, of the cortisol. When you're experiencing a lot of those negative reactions, we're getting that fire of cortisol that trigger all those stresses response. Realigning that relationship to that emotion changes and reorders how those responses are being triggered to align with the key areas that create that more effective way of being. We look at those ideas. Am I operating from a quantitative reasoning or a symbolic reasoning? The symbolic reasoning being that response where you're aligned with the meaning of that past, the experience and emotion of that past becomes that effect that triggers you into that emotional response. Realigning with that quantitative state of reasoning brings us back to the facts, the concepts, or being able to apply them to the real world present here and now. You know, how am I presently experiencing this and where do I presently align to create the future I hope to step into? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, if we t- again, from thousands of years ago, this is what people have been talking about from a philosophical perspective. This is a core concept of Buddhism, for example. It's about being in the present. It's about being in the now. It's about being able to experience life within this millisecond rather than thinking about the future. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for every single person because A, because we're bombarded by society and, and the way we live, but B, our brain is actually, again, designed to be predictive and problem solving. And pr- prediction and problem solving isn't necessarily, for the most part, it's not in the present. It's it's thinking about the future. And, and so we have to be able to tame that. And that's where meditation, again, comes in, mindfulness practices in terms of, and that's the whole concept of mindfulness. It's about being uh, intention. You know, what's your intention? It's about being present, being aware of where you are, and then regathering your positioning or your thoughts or your awareness. So you're constantly being, okay, I need to be intentional about being in the moment. I need to be aware of where my thoughts are going. And then I just need to regather my thoughts because I know they're going to go astray. I know that this happens, right? It's really difficult. You can focus on an object for a minute, but your thoughts will eventually go off somewhere and you could just need to draw that back in and say, okay, I'm just going to let that go and draw it back into where I think it should be. So these are all the things that when it comes to being present, one of the biggest challenges I see for a lot of people is especially high achievers. 
people that have goals. Specifically, if we take a look at that, a lot of them have challenges with being present because, again, you can become so goal oriented and driven that you forget to live in the moment. You forget about the actual journey itself and you focus on the destination. So it's very important to incorporate the two. You can be a high performer who is constantly present. We look at that idea that we're moving into that area of the primitive brain. That monkey brain that, you know, we so often talk about or the caveman brain, where we're reacting from being unsettled, restless, confused. You know, we feel those self-imposed urges of fear or anxiety. Some of that we look back. Are we actually being challenged or is it the fact that we are constantly saying we all experience challenge? You will be challenged. It can be challenging. And we start to say, well, Jeff said it is going to be challenging. Per Depp said it's going to be challenging. Whoever said it's going to be challenging, you automatically start to believe, well, it's going to be challenging before you're even challenged. A lot of times we approach things thinking it's going to be this huge mountain to climb. We go through it. We get all stressed out. We do all of this worrying and anxiety hand wringing, you know, sweating the bullets. And then we get done and we say, ah, that wasn't so bad. So-and-so said it was going to be challenging. Part of that belief cycle is simply saying it can potentially be challenging. Do we say it's automatically going to be challenging or do we say, how do we avert all of the pitfalls and challenges and align them in a way that can become more effective? Yeah, really good question because it's all about pre-framing. What you put in front of your brain, what, how you pre-frame the situation is how your brain is actually going to deliver. So again, if you go in and saying, I'm going to be challenged with this or I'm nervous about this, you're going to be nervous about this because that's what your brain is. That's what you're telling your brain and that's how your brain is actually going to uh, execute. So again, this is all about the belief systems. This this all comes down to your internal belief system. So I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because we have to be very conscious in terms of what we say to ourselves and what we say to other people as well. Because yes, absolutely. And this is even a good sign for me because I have to be aware of what I say. And sometimes I don't catch it myself. (laughs) We talk so often about learning those patterns from our past or learning those patterns from other experiences or other people. One of those patterns that we've been handed is if you go looking for trouble, you find trouble. There's a great adage and a great truth that can be in that. If you go looking for challenge, you very oftenly will find challenge. If you go looking for failure, you very oftenly will find failure. That's not to say by ignoring it, those things will go away. But being aware and mindful of the present says, if this challenge arises, how do I address and evolve from that? Yeah, exactly. And that goes to the goal orientation of your brain. If you tell your brain, if you tell your brain, okay, well, why am I, why am I a loser? It will find a reason. Or why am I a winner? It will find a reason. Your brain will seek that out. It will be predictive in trying to create that. It will try to solve the problem of, hey, you just told me that you asked me, why are you a loser? Well, here's a reason. So it will solve that problem for you. So you have to be very conscious in terms of what you're trying to move towards, what you're telling your brain, what goals you have. Literally, it's uh, here's an exercise that, again, that I do personally and that I, I do with, with the people that I work with is every morning you have to do a goal setting exercise, which is, and this is how I do it personally. Again, everybody can do it differently. But the one major outcome that I want out of the day, my biggest goal, then I have three sub goals. And typically those include other things in my life, like my family or something on my personal side. My one big goal, 
during the week is typically something to do with business. And, and, and so what ends up happening then in how I structure my day and how I do every hour, for example, or everything that I have scheduled in my calendar, I always go into that and say, what is the one outcome that I want out of this? What is that goal for my brain that I'm going to continue to deliver? For example, in this podcast, my goal is to deliver as much value as I can to the audience. That's my one goal. And so I continuously stick to that one goal. How can I drive value? At the end of this podcast, I can come out and we can have a conversation. I'll say, Jeffrey, how did it go? Do you think the audience got value? And if you validate, great. If you don't say this could have been more constructive, great. I know better for last time, but at least I'm aligning with that goal rather than just doing random stuff. So this is very important. We need to be very intentional. Again, this is about being mindful, being very intentional about what we do, not just on a daily basis or weekly basis, but on an hourly basis on a minute by minute basis. Now, I have to be conscious in how I say this, right? And aware because some people might say, oh, I have to have an outcome for every single thing. No, you still have to live your life, enjoy your life. This doesn't mean that you, you know, if you don't hit your goal or you're playing with your kids and it's about goal setting all the time, no, it's not like that. Enjoy your life, enjoy the moment, just be conscious and aware. For example, with my kids, when I pick them up from school today at three o'clock, my goal then is going to connect with them for the next couple of hours. That's my goal. And I don't make a hard goal and be like, how am I going to measure this? I'm going to ask some questions at the end. It's just, I'm being... I, how did dad do? Here's your survey. You know, one, yeah. one to five. How do you rate me as a dad today? <laughs> exactly. It's just being conscious. Again, I'm, I'm just telling my brain because I can easily, my phone is not here right now, but I can easily be caught off guard by, or caught, just caught up in a call or an email that comes through. And I just have to be conscious and say, this is time for my kids. It's all about how we are in relationship to things. How are we relating to our kids? How are we relating to our time? How are we relating to our emotional state, our reactions to things? Are we forming attachments and becoming stuck so often becomes the relationship that keeps us from moving where we want to go? Our brains, to me, it's fascinating, are both an antenna and a magnet. So often we are broadcasting out the energy of our thoughts and our intentions. And at the same time, as we broadcast those out, we attract in so many different things in that energy. Oftentimes we're attracting in those things we don't want. Often the times we're simply attracting our focus on the things we want versus the things we truly want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to be really conscious of that because we we could take a look at it from a scientific perspective or even a spiritual perspective or quantum physics, for example. You're exactly right. We're we're projecting that energy out there and information out there and we're receiving it. And if we take a look at it from a neuroscience perspective, our brains, majority of the information is received at the non-conscious level, roughly 11 million bits per second. It's it's astronomical, but we can only process consciously about a hundred and I think the estimates right now are about 128, which is not very much con- compared to 11 million. So only a fraction of what we our brains are actually taking in in terms of information like this. This is phenomenal when you really think about it. A very small, tiny, tiny fraction is actually being processed at the conscious level. All of that other stuff is still being processed, but it's at the non-conscious level. So we have to wonder, like, what's happening with all that information? Like, what is the brain doing with that? And so that, that comes into play, for example, when we talk to someone and we are feeling a certain emotion, we are projecting that emotion 
through information in a number of ways, whether that's body language, but specifically the face as well. And we may not know it, but we're projecting that information. And the other person is actually receiving that information consciously, but also non-consciously as well. They're actually reading your language without you knowing it and without them even knowing it. So it's very powerful in terms of our emotional states because how we feel around people definitely impacts how people will actually take that information and energy and how they respond to you as well. And so there's a very powerful aspect of there. And I, you know, if anybody takes one thing out of this is focus on your emotional state because your emotional state is very powerful, not only for how you act and behave and your decision-making, because we know emotions have a significant influence if not the controlling influence over how you make decisions, but also how you behave and how other people, your environment actually behaves to you. And it's actually been shown now, not definitively, but there's a number of papers out there that have shown that from a neuroscience perspective, your internal perspectives of what's happening in your brain influence your environment and your environment is now reacting. Therefore, neuroscientists are saying your life, the way it's structured, the way your relationship or the quality of your relationship, how you parent or how your kids grow up, a lot of that is based on who you are and how your brain is internally. But a lot of people don't understand that. They believe that they're given these circumstances. They fall into these circumstances. They had no control. It's not necessarily that they had control. It's that they had a significant influence in this. So I always tell people your internal state reflects your external world. That's as simply as that. If you don't have something in your external world, it's because something is missing in your internal state or something needs to be developed or enhanced or realigned internally before you can get that externally. That information is nothing more than data. How we process that data, how our brain forms meaning, awareness, and understanding of all of that ultimately dictates how much success we will ever achieve in our goals, how much success we will ever achieve in creating those habits that create that forward momentum that guide us to our ultimate success. Yeah, it's, it's very powerful. I was, I was thinking about this last week. I was, I was thinking about a particular situation or circumstance. I, I love Disney. I love Disney World. I love the whole concept of Disney. I love their brand. I love what they've been able to do. They're probably the foremost best organization that's created wonderful experiences for families for decades now. I learned firsthand from Disney. I spent a, a lot of time there learning in terms of how they create the magic, how they, with their business philosophies, what they do. After a while, it was interesting because I would go into the parks and I would see, I would take my family there and I'd be like, oh, this is how they do this. This is how they create the magic there because we were all, well, basically I learned from the inside what they were doing, how they were doing their underground tunnels, how their team is trained, all this kind of stuff that's the behind the stages work. So the non-conscious stuff that most people don't see, and all of a sudden the people that are going through the theme park are presented with this. Now, what ends up happening when you understand all this stuff, sometimes it takes the magic out of it. Yeah. So I'm going through the park and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know how they do this. And I, I'm no longer feeling that same magic. And the same can happen. And this is kind of personally happened to me from the, from the neuroscience perspective is now we take a look at this and we say, okay, we know how the brain reacts. We know what chemicals are produced when it comes to love. So I know why I love my wife, because these chemicals are being produced, but there is still some magic, for example. Yeah, it could be circumstances, whatever that is, but there's something still there that science can still not determine. And the same goes for the brain. As much as we're talking about neuroscience, scientists still have no clue. There's not one scientist that can definitively say, this is why a thought occurs. 
or this is why vision actually happens. Yes, they know how vision is deciphered. For example, it goes to the occipital lobe and there's different neural parts of the brain like V1, V2, all the, you know, V8 that decipher whether it's motion or color or tone and all this kind of stuff. But scientists, even the best of the best visionary experts cannot tell you, neuroscientists cannot tell you how that information still comes together to create a picture or an experience or whatever that is. They, they just don't know. They have no clue. And so there's still this magic out there when it comes to the brain that, yeah, we figured out certain things biologically, but we still don't know like how this is occurring. Like, so the brain is still very magical and mystical from that perspective. That brings it to a point for me where we say, once we look behind the scenes a little bit, understand how to create that magic we can continue to make that magic sometimes when we pull ourselves into a present alignment and awareness we just simply get out of our way to allow the magic to happen where can our listeners go to reach out to you per deep and discover some of this magic and some of this wonderful insight you share in helping others discover that magic. Well, you can simply go to my website, which is perdeepsanga.com, and there's a contact form there. Or you can reach out to me on the social media channels. Typically, my handle is at perdeepsanga. I'm most active on LinkedIn and Instagram, and I'm more than happy to respond if you send me a message or a connection request. If you do send me a connection request, I do ask that you send me a message so I know who you are. And, and if you have any questions, please feel free to send those my way. Well, thank you. I want to say that this has truly been a magical conversation with you today. <laughs> I've looked at a lot of new angles and I'm sure we've shared a lot of great new angles with our listeners. I would love to have you come back soon and do it again. Oh, I'd love to. This has been great. I love your energy, your questions. And it's actually very nice to speak to someone because most podcasts I jump on, a lot of people don't have the understanding of the brain. So uh, it's great to, to talk to someone that does. So this is nice and refreshing, Jeffrey. I thank you for that. Well, thank you. And it has been so refreshing. Namaste, my friend. The light in me acknowledges the light in you. You have truly brought so much light to this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. A goal without a plan is a daydream. Begin with the end in mind. Being mindful and aware of our vision is an essential key to creating success. Setting goals is the first step. Our minds are so powerful. We can invent, create, experience, and destroy things with our thoughts alone. We are shaped by our thoughts with the mind creating our reality. You either control your mind or it controls you. Perdeep and I have shared how utilizing some simple neuroscience to leverage the power of your brain can create more effective goals. Now we want to know what you found insightful in today's show. Leave us a message at www.thelightinside.us or tag us on social media at The Light Inside Podcast, sharing what inspired you the most in this episode. We are grateful to be able to continue helping you, our valued listening community, discover your light inside. Remember to continue to support the growth of our program by sharing feedback or leaving us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you find your favorite show. Join us next week as we share a conversation with online counselor Melissa Rossiano discussing how you can release the grips of shame, allowing us to embrace resiliency to see our true self. Tune in next episode to find out more on The Light Inside.